Drive with Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here on this Tuesday, New Hampshire primary morning. And uh, we are really pleased, as we do every so often, to have national columnist Rich Lowry. You've seen him on all the national shows from Meet the Press to... Everything else you can think of, and we're pleased to have him here with us today. Rich Lowry, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Going great. Uh, so let's get right into the New Hampshire primary, Rich. Um, do you think there's any way that when today's over and the results are announced later tonight that this thing's still alive? I think it's extremely unlikely. It requires a surge of independence that hasn't been picked up in the polling that changes the New Hampshire electorate, the, the assumptions about what it's going to be tonight, such that Nikki Haley wins, basically, or, or you know, comes within uh, four or five points of Trump. So that seems quite unlikely to me. All the polling, except for one poll that seems an outlier, has Trump winning by 20 points. So your expectation should be that tonight the race is over. And let's just say that she did come within a handful of points, three, four, five points, or actually pulled off the upset. Upset. Where does she go from there if that did happen? I mean, South is there a chance that a, a big upset win sort of propels her in other states where she's not showing up, or is it still almost over? I don't think it'd still be over, basically, because she'd win because of the unusual nature of the New Hampshire electorate, more moderate than other states, with independents playing a bigger role. Now, there are other states that uh, you can be unaffiliated voters and, and vote, but it's not, not, not enough, and, and you need to be winning among Republicans to win a Republican nomination battle, and Trump would, would win. Trump's certainly going to win among Republicans tonight, and then, you know, you'd go to South Carolina, and it, he'd smash her there probably by, by double digits, and, and then it would be over. So I, I think one way or the other, this thing is over. The train is... Uh, um, steaming up and uh, just, just about to leave the station. What happened to Ron DeSantis' campaign? I think a lot of things. I mean, first of all, Trump was, was strong, and the indictments helped Trump. So this was not easy. Then there's just the, the sheer factor that he's not a, a likable politician. You know, the way I put it, he doesn't have it, obviously, but he, he's never met it. You know, if he met it, he, he'd shake its hand awkwardly and then, then walk away without making conversation. <laughs> he's just not naturally a people person. And some politicians actually thrive that way. I mean, he's thrived in, in Florida or can overcome it. You know, Nixon was an example of that. But it's just, it's just very hard to make that work, especially in this day and age, especially when you're running against Donald Trump. Then he, you know, the basic strategic uh, theory of the case which I, I thought made sense and may have been still been the best strategy, was to go to the center of the party, not ideologically, but the center, you know, kind of the, the soft mega element of the party between the hard Trump people and the, the hard non-Trump people, win them over, establish strength there, then, then assume the other candidates are going to flake away and the non-Trump um, voters are going to have no choice but to go, go with you. So there, there turned out to be two problems with this. One, you couldn't really pry the soft Trump voters against uh, away from Trump, either because they weren't that soft to begin with, or the indictments really threw them into his uh, in, back into Trump's camp. And then Nikki, the rise of Nikki Haley was a strategic debacle because it meant there was no way he was getting the non-Trump voters. So, so you add that up, and that's how you end up, you know, with with 20 points in Iowa and five points, 10 points everywhere else. And in the polling. 
and it's it's pretty amazing that the, all the polls show that most Americans don't want to see a rematch of Joe Biden and Donald Trump, but it looks that's like that's the way we're headed. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Biden's at like thirty three percent approval, and Trump's at about thirty four percent approval. But you know, you you look at the national polling among Republicans, seventy five percent of them favor Trump. You know, so so you're going to get Trump, and and Biden is polling well against against Dean Phillips. So although in theory people don't want this, and in reality most people don't want it. You know, there's there's no alternative in the parties, and you know you got to be. I'm not a Trump guy, but you got to be able to go beat him. You know, you got to be able to go beat him, and it's not easy because he has some uh, extraordinary, unusual uh, political skills and some very good usual skills. I experienced this myself a little bit. One reason he's been getting all the endorsements, not not just because he looks inevitable, he goes out and asks for them, and he asks for them repeatedly, and he he asks for them with great forcefulness and uh, persuasiveness. You know, and that's what a good politician do does. And there's just no way, you know, Ron DeSantis. Was uh, was matching that, and and he's more interesting, he's more compelling, he seems stronger. Both DeSantis and Haley very calculating and rehearsed. In Trump, you never get that feel. People enjoy that. He's funny, you know. I, the way I put it is, Trump at, at an average rally says ten funnier things than Ron DeSantis has ever said in his life. And is that a, a great qualification for president? No. Is it something that makes someone a compelling political figure? Yes. So you add all that up, and there he goes. You know, and he's going to run against Joe Biden, and I think it's a, a 50-50 proposition in November. Yeah, I I, uh, I think, you know, what's interesting is I'm, I'm, I'm watching this unfold in the last, say, 48 hours in New Hampshire, and I realize that the outcome is is. is it's pretty obvious. I, but for me, it's kind of fun to watch this whole Dean Phillips thing. And I've been listening to interviews of, of voters. And, you know, I, again, I saw last night an independent and Democrat who were planning on voting for Nikki um, have kind of pivoted because you got Andrew Yang running around campaigning for Dean Phillips in New Hampshire and getting them all upset at the DNC and Joe Biden. Both those people now are voting for Dean Phillips. They're not voting for Nikki. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that that's also, all these, New Hampshire, as someone was telling me, we could remind me a week ago, it breaks really late because you don't know what the independents are going to do. You know, they, they go with John McCain, boom, in 2000, he shocks George W. Bush when, when it seems like maybe it'd be a close race and he wins by 20 points. So it could be that, that everyone's been thinking, well, you know, they, they all come over for Nikki. If they all go over for Dean Phillips, a shock might be on that side. Who knows? Well, and that's kind of, it seems like, uh, between driving to work this morning and last night, I, every, it, it feels like, I, and we just kind of did our predictions, Kurt and I did, before this segment. And, and I said, you know, uh, five days ago I would have said it's, it's neck and neck and maybe Nikki. Now I think that, that uh, all of Ron's voters are going to Trump. And, and, and Nikki's losing a huge chunk of independents and maybe Democrats to Dean Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, that, that's interesting. And that's the other thing. You know, th- th- there's that war between Haley um, and, and DeSantis for weeks, for months, and she actually needed a zombie DeSantis in the race. You know, a DeSantis who, who's soaking up six or ten points everywhere, if it was competitive, which it's not, you know, w- would have helped her because, as the DeSantis people have said all along, if we get out, you know, just forget about it because all our votes are going to go to Trump, and that's largely true. Yeah, and, and I think, and you're absolutely right. Without DeSantis, I mean, the, and whether it was the right move or not, her her not debating him one last time, I think probably uh, it just helped Trump uh, because they took away, like you said, the zombie candidate. You need somebody to run against when you're running in a vacuum. You know, mm-hmm. there's no contrast, so there's no meaning. 
Yeah, no, that, that might be right, too. I, I thought at the time when she made that decision, thank God, because the last debate between those two was so just oh, yeah. stupid and unedifying. And just having them stand, you know, five feet within each other, call each other liars all night, it doesn't really, it doesn't really help either of them. And that was the shrewdest tactic, obviously, that Trump had the entire campaign. He blew, blew up the debates, made them pointless, made them harmful, actually, to the candidates participating by his, his absence. So that was a really smart decision. And, and apparently, like, one that was close run. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like it was. It was guaranteed that he was going to make that call before the first one. But he, but he did. And it was really smart. And that's the other thing he has going for him is that the team now is good uh, with Trump. It's the best it's ever been. It's uh, a small group of very smart people, and he's listening more than than he usually has. You know, we'll see if it lasts. But that that that's been an underappreciated part of his his comeback. So that's been one of the big points is he's listening to his people, right? Because when these debates started, we all speculated on this show and other places as well, saying he won't be able to, he's got too big an ego to stay off the stage. He'll end up showing up at the last minute. But he, as you said, he actually listened to his people with the strategy of let them beat each other up. Yeah, and there's there's no way he's going to keep it up. And, uh, you know, he's not keeping up on Truth Social. But when he, you know, after Iowa, I, I, I really like nice Trump. You know, when he gave that speech and, and he said nice things about everyone and, and talked about his mother-in-law, you know, if he's like that all the time, it, you know, it wouldn't be a 50-50 proposition in November. It would be, be a much better chance. But, um, you know, he, he, is, he is what he is, and, and there, there are great political benefits to it. That's, that's the reason why he's winning. There, there are downsides. That's why it's a 50-50 proposition against the, the most feeble incumbent we've experienced uh, the weakest incumbent running for re-election since george hw bush or jimmy carter with the with the, the the physical and the age problems on top of it so so you agree then that um 50 50 proposition with trump because uh, obviously he could win because biden is so weak but at the same time you agree it sounds like you agree that nikki haley or another candidate would actually have a much better chance because they don't bring the baggage with them is that what you're saying yeah d- definitely uh, desantis even though it was a terrible campaign and and nikki uh, i i think certainly a much better proposition against um biden you know nothing's like a slam dunk in our, our national politics now but i, I think they'd have a, a really good chance of beating biden and, and you can't really convince anyone of this but Trump's polling against Biden is a, shine, a sign of Trump's weakness more than anything because he, he, he should be beating him by 10 points, uh, and he's not. And, and this polling might be a little illusory, you know, or, or it might uh, come back Biden's way. So I, my gut is I, I think Trump is going to win in November, but he, he easily could lose to, to this guy who, you know, looks like he's going to fall down literally at any time because you know, Trump has, has a lot of weaknesses, is radioactive, you know, in the suburbs. All that, so uh, um, it's it's going to be a fascinating race, and there's just so much unpredictable about it because we got the the court cases on on top of everything else. Yeah, um, let's go to the phones. We got a call for you. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Mr. Larry. I understand that that um, President Trump's uh, supporters can look past the indictments, the impeachments, all that stuff. But how do they look past um, the New York jury finding him criminally liable for sexually assaulting? Uh, Eugene Carroll, which the judge said was rape. I mean, don't they have mothers, daughters, sisters, um, you know, and what would they say to them? I, I, I really can't get my head around that. Is that just something that's like just not a thing for law and order Republicans? I think, one, a lot of people haven't, haven't really paid that much attention to that case. Two, 
the allegation is very old, and um, it, I, I, find, I find it hard to, to, to believe my, myself, um, even though you had that finding, that, that he would, you know, as a public figure, sexually assault someone in a, in a public place, like instantaneously like that. The, the things that we have a pattern of Trump doing, you know, in, in the past, groping, Googling, right, at his, at his uh, pageants in the dressing room, which, which is bad, obviously, and, and kissing without warning. But we don't have other allegations of, of this sort. And I think just people also, they, uh, Republicans, discount anything that's happening in the, the New York justice system. And you, know, you look at the civil fraud case with his, his business, I mean, there, there are no victims. The, the, the banks got all their money. The banks were very sophisticated, knew who and, and what they were dealing with. And, and to make it a, a death sentence for his business is, is insane. Um, and, you know, and then you have a trial now where they, it's, it's been assumed that he's guilty, which is usually not how our system is going to work. And then you have the Alvin Bragg indictment that is, is uh, uh, re- real BS. So I think, think uh, all, all, all that's, that's why that's really hasn't registered. And with the E. Jean Carroll case, are, is it your feeling then, as the caller said, that Republican voters feel like Trump can't get a fair trial in any any courtroom in New York? Is that the? I do, yeah, and, he, and they're, they're going to feel he can't get a, a fair trial with any jury in D.C. as well, not not unreasonably. And I think just I think January sixth case. I think January sixth was terrible. We've probably talked about it in the past. I think it was an impeachable offense. But I don't think he committed crimes, and I think if you're going to indict a former president, which is a huge deal, you know, which really breaks a, a norm throughout um, our history, it's got to be a clear cut, you know, as, as Bill Barr says, you know, a meat and potatoes crime. You know, he stole money or, or, or something like that. But the, these, these, these novel theories about defrauding the United States that might not even stand up with the Supreme Court is not the way to go. And if Trump loses and he's, you know, he's convicted and loses, he's going to point to this. Not unreasonably, not unreasonably, as a politicized case that was meant to make him uh, un- unelectable and that was, was unfair and wrong, and that therefore the system was rigged again. And, and this time, uh, I, I, you know, I rejected his claims last time. This time I'll say, yeah, he's right. Yeah. We're, we're talking to national columnist Rich Lowry. Rich, uh, I know why all the talking heads, and I get this, where they say if there's a no-labels movement, that it, no third-party candidate could ever win. I know it would be tough, but James Carville the other day said, in only the way that James Carville can say it, that <laughs> if a uh, third-party candidate runs with Trump and Biden, that they're going to get a, he said a, some very salty language about it, that they'll get a, well, I'll just put it as a boatload of votes. Um, let's say Joe Manchin is the nominee, and he runs with a big-name Republican, whoever it may be, uh, and, and Biden continues to falter, and Trump does you know, gets convicted of something else or, or God knows what else happens with Trump. Do you think there's any scenario where a, where a candidacy like that has a chance? No. It would have to be Trump's convicted, and, and the polling on conviction is accurate, right? The polling on conviction, conviction right now is catastrophic for him, right? No one's going to vote for him, supposedly, if he's convicted. I don't think that's right. My kind of gut is that it's another thing like the Access Hollywood tape. That'll be a devastating blow, and then within three weeks, everyone's absorbed it and, and, and moves on. But who knows? I could be wrong. But let's hypothetically, the conviction just torpedo to the bow uh, of Trump, and 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 Biden falls down, and, and like you know, I don't wish this on him, and you know, in a way that makes it clear to everyone there's no way this guy possibly could be president again. Everyone already thinks that, but it intensifies the feeling. 
then and then maybe you have you know Joe Manchin or Larry Hogan with a chance to come up the, with the middle. You know, both candidates then are collapsed, right? So then this would be a totally unprecedented situation. You know, we're going to have a lot of unprecedented situations, so maybe I shouldn't discount it, but maybe if that happens. Otherwise, it just seems, you know, the way it always goes is you get, you know, like Ross Perot, people are really disaffected. You get your, your uh, he got 19% in zero electoral votes. You know, I, I, there's been no indication like a mansion would, would pull that, that high. And then, then what usually happens you're at your 19 or whatever mansion will be 10, and then and then it gets closer to closer. You're like, why am I going to waste my vote? And then it's eight, and then wait, it's, it's down at eight, and now I'm really wasting my vote. And then before you're done, it's five. Now that five could be decisive places, right? And and mansion a mansion could elect Donald Trump easily. You know, Larry Hogan, if he's at the top of the ticket, could elect Biden. Uh, easily. So it, it could definitely have an impact. Totally get what you're saying, but I just wonder if we really are in unprecedented times, as you say. Well, we are. That, that's, that's why maybe I shouldn't be so dismissive. We are. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, who's, uh, who's on Trump's short list for VP? Yeah, what do you think, Rich? Stefan? <clears throat> I, I think Nikki makes a ton of sense, like in traditional terms. It represents a part of the party you, you need to bring back, you know, ideological balance, demographic balance. She, she's a pro. You know, she's not going to wilt under the pressure. But I don't, you know, given what she said lately, Trump can get over anything, actually. He holds, slight, you know, holds grudges, but then actually can give them up <laughs> if someone says something nice about him or uh, if it's in his interest. But that seems unlikely to me, but no, no one's ruled it out yet. Then I, I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a real possibility. He's, in, he's interested in a, in a, a woman. She's, she's you know, a little young and untested, um, but, but very winsome and a great communicator, uh, you know, mom with great mom stories. She's overcome cancer. What about I, Stefanik? I mom, what's that? What about Stefanik? I, I think she's definitely on the list. I, I think she's, it's usually too much of a reach. You know, we've done it a couple times recently with, with Ferraro and Paul Ryan, but it's usually a reach to do a house member. Um, she, I, I, I think she's very impressive, but, but, too young and I think kind of kind of unlikely. Mike Pompeo, if he wants to do a, like a Dick Cheney type choice, you know, here's a governing choice and not a political choice. Mike Mike Pompeo could be there, and then you know, there's a slew of senators and and uh, Tim Scott. Uh, yeah, I think you know he'll get consideration. I think the campaign was so terrible and so yeah. lackluster um, that that it kind of hurts him. But that's he's he's a possibility. Um, I want to before we run out of time, Rich, you wrote a column about. Um, John Fetterman. Yeah. What is going on with Fetterman? Yeah, it's amazing, right? I, I, I totally transformed how I look, look at him. Like a, like a lot of people, I thought it was a disgrace, you know, especially when they changed the dress code for him and they changed it back. Um, but he's, he's gone his own, his own way on a, on a couple things, Israel and the, the border fence and uh, Bob Menendez needs to resign in a way that's not, def- it's not uh, necessarily a departure from democratic orthodoxy, because there, there are a, um, you know, a bunch of Democrats are, are pro-Israel and, and whatnot, but in the way he's done it is a, is a calculated and stark and notable middle finger to the left. And, and he's declared his independence. You know, he said, I'm not a progressive, even though he's, he said he was a progressive before. So this is a, a play uh, for the middle in Pennsylvania uh, to get elected uh, again when, when he's up. You know, he's been under 50% polling. Um, he won just because he was running against an extremely weak Republican opponent and then obviously has had a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of problems. 
But uh, I, I think it's the kind of path, you know, if you could run a Fetterman, not Fetterman himself, but a Fetterman type against Biden, Democrats would win, win easily. You know, someone who's not beholden to the left, who uh, uh, eliminates some of the cultural vulnerabilities the party has. That, I think that's a very winning formula for Democrats, but no, I don't think anyone else is going to pick it up. Well, I think it's interesting um, that, you know, and you compared him to Bullworth, which I think is a great movie. Uh, it, it, it's just kind of funny how, um, you know, they thought they had him compartmentalized, and it was sad. It was, I think it was sad because he was genuinely compromised, and I'm glad that he's doing better. Uh, and I have to tell you that that's a lot of the stuff that's coming out of his mouth is like, wow, he, he's, just, he's just saying it. Uh, yeah, well, as a colleague of mine pointed out, when he was not doing well, it was his wife who was out there a lot and creating his image. Now that he's, that he's back, he hasn't seen his wife right. <laughs> at all, and it's him creating his image. So it might be there's a little you know, t- tension in the family over, over where, where it should be, and, and he's winning out. And to the other point is, you know, you know, I I'm always amazed at how people change as soon as they get to Washington, you know, uh, and we, it's a it's a little state, so we have a lot of contact with our we have one representative in the House and two senators. And it's not mm-hmm. uncommon to have spoken with them, even when you're not on the radio, okay? And right. so it is amazing to me how they change, and and I always think that, and then I see here's Fetterman, okay, he's in the Senate, and all of a sudden he wakes up one day and he goes, "This is absolute insanity." Somebody has to say, say something. And, yeah. and that's kind of what I think when I see him. It's, that's why when you compared him to Bullworth, I'm like, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So it, what, what stands out is the way he's doing it, right? So it's not like, uh, oh, I back Israel. It's here are the posters on, on my wall. Uh, here's my forthright denunciation in the, the saltiest, in salty terms of anyone who would pull them down. Here I am mocking these, these pro-Hamas protesters. Here they are in my office, and I say, come on, bring it on, I don't care. You know? yeah. So all that makes it very notable. So it's different than you know, just, just going on Meet the Press and, and making a, a really anodyne, buttoned-up statement. It's really an in-your-face theatrical um, uh, position on, on this stuff, which, yeah. which makes it alluring and, and, makes, and pungent. Rich, quick answer on this one. Um, Donald Trump said to New Hampshire voters, if Nikki Haley wins, Republicans lose up and down the ballot. Of course, we know that actually with him at the top of the ticket, Republicans have not done so well in the last elections. What do you think the impact of Trump, if he is indeed the nominee, as we think at this point, will be on the Senate and the House races? Senate, it's just tilted very much in Republicans' favor, so... Not a lot there, but you know, the House could be close, and he, Trump will be, be an anchor around uh, Republicans who are running in the suburbs. So I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the House, but, but it wouldn't shock me if that goes either way. And, you know, if, if Trump wins the presidency and loses the House, it's, uh, that, that's a, you know, you can do confirmations in the Senate and other stuff, but that's a major blow. So um, you should be paying attention to that. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, Rich Lowry, as always, thanks for being on the Morning Drive today. Great stuff. Thanks, fellas. I enjoyed it. Thanks Thanks again. All right, well, we're going to uh, take a quick break here. We're going to check in with uh, ABC News. Amanda's got the headlines. We've got the Channel 3 uh, forecast from the Max Advantage Forecast Center with Chief Meteorologist Gary Sadowski. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to Vermont Auditor of Accounts Doug Hoffer right here on News Talk WVMT.